you've ever found the Bible confusing, uh, one, I'm with you on that. Uh, if that confuses you even more because that concerns you, don't worry about it. Oftentimes we read the Bible and we're confused not because necessarily exactly what it's saying, but what's, what happened before, what happened after, and you're like, ah, I don't even get this. If that's you, or maybe you just need a refresher, we as a church have been walking through the six movements of the Bible so that we can finally get what we're supposed to be getting when we read it. Before I get into this crucial part of the Bible, we need to talk Christmas. Yep. Now, I don't know if you know, but Christmas is about to be here. In fact, let me show you what Christmas means to Fountain Springs Church. Lots of services. Uh, and so let me just spell this out because many of you might be brand new or maybe you've missed a Christmas, but you're going to be with us for Christmas. You're like, oh, wow. Some of you aren't even listening to me because now you're like, I'm so behind on Christmas. Now, listen, don't get behind on this. We offer Christmas services and lots of them. And here's the reason. Because you have friends, I have friends, we have family, we have people that we just come into contact with, and should we invite them to hear about Jesus on Christmas, they're likely to say yes. So we as a church offer as many services as possible. So here's the deal. For particularly this, you need to get tickets. Now some of you are like, I got I to gotta get a ticket. I got I to pay for a ticket to get to church? That sounds like horrible. No, you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to pay for the ticket. We want to guarantee you a seat. I want to guarantee you and, and your family, maybe you're going to bring some of your enemies, maybe that's both at the same time. I don't know. But I, whoever you're going to bring and invite, you need to get a ticket so you can now go get tickets to the Christmas services. You decide what service you want to go to. But I just wanted everyone to know, even though... Christmas isn't here, you need to start behaving like it's here. Some of us get, well, some of us delay, just so you know. Some of us delay. We're like, well, get some tickets sometime down the road, some moment later when I remember. And then you're going to go and the service you want to go to doesn't have any more tickets because everyone else wanted the same service. All I'm saying is get your stinking tickets. We clear? We got that on Christmas? You got it? It's going to be a blast. I hope you'll be there. Now, let's talk about the Bible. And to do so, I need to take you to this. The Feast of Shavuot. You don't have to remember how to say it. I probably just had horrible accent stuff going on there. And you're like, you probably know about the Ten Commandments, though. Most of us have heard of the Ten Commandments. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the Ten Commandments, well, when God showed up, when, in fact, if you, you should read it sometime, it's, it's in the Bible, and, and he lays out, I'm going to show up, and, and his presence was going to be known, and it was, it was a major moment where God's presence was there, and what he did was he handed over the law, this, this set of commandments, to give guidance on how to actually live a life. It's a major moment, that's why most of us, whether we could recite them right now, which I'm not going to ask you to recite them. Most of us have heard of the Ten Commandments. It was a powerful moment in Jewish culture, obviously. Anytime God ever showed up was a moment they would often mark with a feast. I mean, that sounds awesome. You and I do the same thing. You know that, right? 
we eat around the special times of our lives. That's like, that's how we function. They had the feast celebrating God showing up and handing over the law. And some of us like, that didn't sound fun. No, they needed to know how to live. It was a gift saying, here's how to live life. Here's what you need to do. Fast forward over a thousand years from the moment that you and I know about the Ten Commandments. Fast forward over a thousand years, you're going to then find the disciples, the, the guys who were following Jesus, really close to Jesus, and even some more, were gathered celebrating this feast. They were celebrating the fact that th- about over a thousand years previously, God had shown up and he had delivered the law. It was awesome. So having a feast, celebrating. Things are going great. Things are going great. Things are going great. The reason I bring this up is not to nerd you out on Jewish culture. See, when the disciples were gathered, God shows up again in a very definable way, a a game-changing kind of way. And as you read through the Bible, you get to the part of Jesus and you could mistakenly believe that once we get to Jesus, the rest of the Bible is no longer as pertinent because we've talked about Jesus and everything's just about Jesus. Well, that's not necessarily true. See, Jesus comes, he dies, he comes back to life, and then he leaves. And 10 days after he left, as they're celebrating the Feast of Shavuot, this happened. On the day of Pentecost, that's what they're celebrating, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then, and this is where we go, what? Then, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Some of you are like, yeah, we just got supernatural kind of, okay. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Just for a moment, let all of that sink in because what I just read to you has been some of the most divisive parts of the Bible. There are denominations formed out of what I just read to you. It is so full that I could do sermon after sermon after sermon going through all different bits and pieces of what I just read to you. Some of you are caught up. You're like, they're all talking in different languages. You're like, well, why were they doing that? The short of it is, is the Feast of Shavuot was going on. There were tons of different people speaking in different languages all over town. It was like everyone coming into this one town. And yeah, I could focus on a lot. What I'm going to do as your pastor I'm going to pick the most important thing to focus on, and that's what we're going to talk about. The most important part is the fire part. The fire part is not just some loose language, some random description of what was going on. I hope you have a mental picture of a group of people who who are all about Jesus, and then all of us, as they're celebrating the arrival of God and the delivery of the law, As they're celebrating, God shows up again and delivers the Holy Spirit. And the visual is fire. So here's your your Bible lesson or, or one of them. God has often used fire to communicate his presence. 
If you were to read, if you were to read the Bible from beginning to end, you're going to see over and over and over when God showed up, he didn't like, hey, hear him in, in physical form. It oftentimes would be fire. Many of us are familiar with the story about when Moses encountered a bush on fire. You also know stories of when God would lead his people out of slavery where they would know where to go and he used so with, with fire in the sky. Another example is where God would show his presence and his power by sending fire down and burning up a sacrifice. Those are just some of the examples of God using fire to say, I am here. So when I read to you, come on, when I read to you a weird set of verses, where all of a sudden these believers, you're like, I'm with you, I'm with you. Oh, there's fire settling on them. And now they're talking in different languages. What in the world is going on? Well, I'll show you what's going on. Most of us are familiar with this terminology. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you've never heard it like in person, you've at least heard it in the movies. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And let me help you understand. In the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, you're going to hear God referred to as Father a ton. God, God for us. Defending, fighting. That's kind of Old Testament language. Still relevant now. Then Jesus shows up. God with us. Let me, let me dispel some confusion about Jesus. Jesus is God. Some of us don't necessarily treat them that way, and it's confusing. You're like, I know it's confusing. When three can be one, I understand. But what I just read to you is a completely different thing, it, a change. We learn about the Holy Spirit in a very specific way, and the wording was that the Holy Spirit would dwell in them. So you see the progression of what God's doing and, and this, is, this is significant, God for us, God with us, God in us. What I just read to you, the part of the Bible that I just read to you is a major, major shift. God moved from the outside to the inside. Now listen, sometimes you're like, what's the big deal? Well, think about all the options God had. God could have gone back, this is called, to the old school way. Some of us love old school, right? Let's go Traditional. God could have gone back to the whole thing. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to talking to you through uh, some, some burning bushes and, and mountaintops and there's going to be an individual that has to, you know, on behalf of everyone else. And he, he could have gone back to that. Are we clear that he could have moved back to that, that posture, that way of communicating and he would not have been bad or at fault. I'm like, okay, cool. But do you notice that as we read through history, God, do you see that he's moving closer and closer to a different kind of power and authority and relationship. And this is worth our time. Now some are thinking, wait a minute. Because this can get confusing. Jesus was here and now he's gone. And so that's why Jesus is like, all right, let me help you out. I'll give you my spirit so you're not lonely. And that was not it. Some of us have misinterpreted this where, oh, we got a spirit so we could speak in a, in a different language. That was not the whole agenda there. I don't know if you've ever wondered why in the world after Jesus leaves does God decide now you need my Holy Spirit. Now you need my spirit and my spirit has to be so close to you that my spirit needs to dwell in your very soul. Well, what I read to you is 
from the book of Acts. Acts. A-C-T-S. Acts. It gives you a bit of a, well, an inkling of what was going on in the book that I read to you, that, that there was this action and that's what began to happen is, is Jesus does the work that we needed done. And, and, and he's got this powerful mission that he's doing. And, and he's, he's basically saying, uh, here you go. Now, you may not get that at first. Let, let me help you. When Jesus was here, he was on a mission. We've already addressed this, but it's worth going after again. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. We have locked on, it's clear as clear can be, that when Jesus was walking this physical earth, he was on a mission, not trying to establish a religion. There was a rescue mission. And he came to die for us and to defeat death, to save us from our own sins. It's epic. and He fulfilled his part of the mission. But before Jesus left, I don't know if you're aware, Jesus basically said, I've done my part of the mission. Now you've got a part of a mission to do. I'd like to read it to you. Let me read this to you. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, therefore, go. Go. Not sit, just so we're clear. Go. Go and make do you see the action? Go and make disciples of all the nations. Here's some details. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am, what? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Can we just stop for a moment? It seems like inconsistent. I am, Jesus just said, hey, you go do this mission. You got a mission. You got to fulfill this mission. And I'm going to be with you always. See you guys later. If you don't know the details, Jesus leaves them. Ascends. He's, he's gone. So either Jesus is a liar or the Bible is false. Or now perhaps we can understand that God, three and one, he says, okay, I'll be with you always. I am going to give you my spirit He's basically saying, Christians, <clears throat> I would say this nicely, there's work to be done. I don't know your perception of this moment, but we need to get what's true, not what we just perceive. Why? Why, why go through all of this, what sounds like almost drama here? The law of God couldn't do what the Spirit of God could do. You see, when you read the Old Testament, even pre-Jesus, even in the midst of Jesus' early days, there was this law, and everything was centered around law. Law was almost like the safety net of making sure that you were, you were doing things for God that you should be doing, there's this law. But the problem is the law could not accomplish all that God wanted. Listen, that all nations, all nations, anyone and everyone know who Jesus is. The law couldn't do that. The law had uh, an expiration date in the sense of it was limited in its power. And so God knows this and says, all right, now it's time to amp everything up. And a 
over a thousand years after God shows himself on the mountain and says, here's the law. This is what's going to drive you and fuel you and lead you. Over a thousand years after that, he shows up again and says, all right, I'm not giving you a law. I'm giving you my spirit because you need the power to do this, to go to all nations. Just this just the reality that you and I are having this conversation and that you and I are, are actually on this right now is the fact that there was power needed law couldn't do this. And here's what I had wondering as I'm typing my sermon. This is me typing my sermon. I probably type slower than this. It's more like, no, I'm just kidding. I wonder if you wonder something. I wonder if you wonder if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? I think it's a question that some of us are afraid to ask because there's different denominations that seem to have, let's call it physical manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We begin to think that's the only proof of the Holy Spirit. And I think many of us as Christians, if you're a Christian, and you wonder, do I have, do I have, do I have God's Spirit? Dwelling in me, or is this just a story that happened a long time ago about a moment that was a long time ago that's not really directly related to me? Well, uh, there's many places I could go to in the Bible, but um, and now you Gentiles, which if you're like, who are the Gentiles? Um, if you're not Jewish, uh, it be you. And, and, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, when you believed in Christ, stop. When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And many of us have never been taught that or were taught an alternative truth to that, I think is how we say it. And I think many of us are wrestling with this. You and I, when we believed in Jesus Christ, we're given the Holy Spirit, and God's Spirit dwells in you. For some of us, we are freaking out right now because we're like, so he knows. <laughs> well, that's a bit of legalistic thinking, and I understand that fear and that concern. Why do Christians, why are they given God's Spirit? Let me remind you of something. Because the Holy Spirit is necessary. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Physically impossible. Physically impossible for the folks who heard this to do this on their own. Are we clear on that? Impossible. Unless... There is a power that is supernatural. And unless there is a movement assembled, unless Christians gather, gather together and say, we've got work to do, what I'm reading to you and showing to you is we have gone from Jesus dying and resurrecting and it being this epic moment that all of us hang on to. We see that Jesus is our Savior. But Jesus didn't say, I am only savior for those who are currently living in this very moment. Go and show people who I am. 
And this is where the church started. Now here's the problem. I would love to stop the message here and say, hey church, let's do this. The problem is when I say the word church, there's now about probably, I'd say 25 to a million different versions of the church going on right now in our heads. And I'm not confident, listen, I'm not confident that we all see the church as a place to do work. So I thought I would, let's do a basic lesson on, not, not your opinion, not, not my opinion. Let's not talk about preference or, no, no, let's go into original stuff, like the original beginnings. Here's, here's the word that was used, ecclesia. When, when they talked church, this is the word they used. And, and you need to know definition, okay? A, a gathering of people. You're like, and where's the steeple, huh? A gathering of people united by a common identity and purpose. Just for a minute, whatever you've been taught about church, whatever your preconceived ideas and opinions are of what should be involved in church and not in church, all I'm doing right now is telling you the original definition. Hmm. Ecclesia. A group of people all about Jesus, united on Jesus with a purpose of showing people who Jesus is to every single nation. In other words, everywhere. The original church saw it like this. This is work time. I wonder what you see church as. I can tell you where things began to change, and this is where this might make some sense for some of us. We're going to do a little bit of history. Uh, the, the original word, ecclesia, means people, okay? I mean, that's, that's the best definition. Like, I know many of us are like, oh, you, you preached this, David, come on. You're like, it's not a building. It's people. It's always been people. Where did we get jacked up? I'm glad you asked that. If you're a historian, you'll know that 313 A.D., something happened. From the moment that Jesus ascended all the way to about, well, 300s, if you were a Christian and you told anybody, uh, you were probably going to get beaten or killed. It's called persecution. We now we know persecution all across the world. If you're a Christian, we, we get that, especially in, in other nations, right? But at this time, it was, it was horrible. You can read about it in the Bible, too. Persecution was, was rampant. But 313, uh, the leader said, you know what? I'm going to legalize Christianity. Good idea, right? Like, let's stop, let's stop killing the Christians. It seems like the wrong thing to do. Well, here's the problem. When the Christians stopped being persecuted, they got comfortable. You ever have a, you ever have a hard day at work and you come home? Most of us are not like, man, I've had a horrible day today. I hope I get to work on the basement for the rest of the night. 
I hope all of my kids have really difficult homework so we can all just spend up all night long working on this homework. I hope I get in an argument with my spouse when I get home. I just want to keep going. No. We don't do that. If you do, uh, I, that's a whole other sermon. Uh, what I'm trying to show is when tough stops, many of us get rooted in comfort. And so if you fast forward in history, Ecclesia got changed out for a German word, Kirche. I don't know German. I may have mispronounced that. But that meaning is location. So let me help you with your church history. There was a season that, yes, the church met in a building. But then once persecution stopped, the Christians were like, oh, we're going to take a break. I mean, because they've been killing us. And many of us are like, you should take a break. But God never said take a break. Many Americans feel that persecution would be the worst thing that could happen to Christians in our country. History says differently. In fact, I, I like what uh, Andy Stanley, who's a pastor and a writer, said. You can lock the doors of a kirche. Not so with the ecclesia of Jesus. If you want to know what happened in the church, here's the best way I can example it. We went from a work boot to a, to a slipper mentality. Let's talk about when you come home from work. I mean, I'm not going to get too personal. But let me assume something in your life. That when you come home from a very difficult day, it's a rough day, or maybe just a normal day, but, it, but lots of stress, or, or you expelled a lot of energy, most people at some point when they return home, they change their clothes. They, they, they get out of their uniform or, or just change their clothes, and they put something more what on? Comfortable. And for some of you, it's this, the slipper. I think this is a, a way for us to understand what's been breaking down. Is God abandoning the world? What, why? What's breaking down? I'm going to tell you, the church went from this is our mission to this is our mission. To where now, when many of us, I'll just say church shop. We look for what's most comfortable. We begin to not look for where is a place that I can give my life away for, for, for Jesus? Where's a place that I can sacrifice and get exhausted and just actually invest hardcore in? No, no, we're like, no, 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 no. Where's the, where's the sermon that's going to make me feel goosebumps? Where's my favorite style of music? Sure hope they have a perfect program for this or that. And, uh, and when I'm in need, they better give me money. And I, I'm, I, I'm not trying to step on toes, but I think I might. Well, I am. Normal, healthy people don't say, hey, it's time to go to work now. I've got some manual labor to do today. Where are my slippers? However, people are claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ. Saying, yep, Jesus said to go make disciples of all nations. To show the entire world who Jesus is. Where's my slippers? 
No, this isn't about how do you stay saved and the, the, the great commission that was not to say, here's how to keep your salvation. Jesus gave us um, what to do. Here, here. The, the church is supposed to live and deliver God's message. To live it and deliver it. I don't know what your view of church has been up until this point. I'm, I, I'm not trying to say that when you are in need, whether it be emotional or physical, that, that you shouldn't approach the church. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you're a Christian, you didn't sign up for a comfort zone. Do you know that there are thousands upon thousands of people in our own region who don't know who Jesus is? And if the church would just pay attention to them, they might get to know who Jesus is. So I want to add to something that I've already put in front of you. Here's a statement with, with a bit of a, an addition. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit, but does the Spirit have you? The reason I have to say this is, is you, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, but that doesn't make you a robot where, yep, I don't know why that hand went that way, and that, no, the Holy Spirit's just moving. I mean, that's, no. God still is in relationship with you. God is, uh, he loves you so much. He's not going to make you do his mission. So my question is, is you, you might be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. You believe what, what Jesus did and who he is. But, but does he have you? Does he, does he have everything in your life? And many of us would have to say, well, well bits and pieces, <laughs> Let, let me take you to a place that begins to help you and I both answer this. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Let me just ask, okay, have you been giving your life up for Jesus? So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. I find it fascinating. We're like, we, we appreciate and value that, that the military does this. Come on, right? I mean, if you have served in the armed forces, you deserve to be honored because you've been willing to give your life up should that take place. My challenge is Christians should be doing the same, maybe even more so. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. I've now lost count of the amount of people that I know are Christians who get to the end of their life and they don't have confidence that they're actually a Christian. If, if you don't want to be there, I'll again remind you of something I said. The church is supposed to, supposed to live and deliver God's message. And my friends, if, if you're a Christian, This should be your approach to church. You should be looking at 
church as this opportunity to fuel your love for God. Not a place where you just come take a seat. Not a place where you just like soak it up, soak it up, soak it up. That's this. And I find no evidence in the Bible where Jesus said, listen, disciples, here's what I'm calling you to. So perhaps you should look at me differently. Maybe I should be your drill sergeant. Maybe you and I should look at our lives and how we live it, how we sacrifice, how we invest, how we take care of people. Maybe just as simple as whichever location you attend, when you walk into the doors of that location, or if you're even online and you click on and you're like, here, I am now going to church, perhaps we should start saying, how am I going to be the church? How am I going to take what Jesus did for me and pass it on? And you don't have to say, but I don't know. No, no, no. You have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. Where in the Bible even says, when you don't know what to say, he's going to help you. Christians, and I'm not talking to those of you who don't, if you don't call yourself a Christian, tune me out. If you are a Christian, I challenge you to look at your view of the church and make sure that you're living it out. Jesus said, church, go show people who I am. And if you don't know what happened is the original disciples, almost all of them were killed for it. You and I have the luxury that likely won't happen. Challenge you. Be the church that you know the world needs. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I feel convicted. Um, God, I have many moments where I think that, uh, I I know, I know that there there are moments that I don't surrender to you. Um, that I go after cravings and, and um, selfish desires. And God, I, I love comfort. <laughs> God, I'm sorry for that. I think, Lord, I think some of us are sorry for that. I think, I think we, we repent of our pursuit of preference and and comfort. God, would you help us as a church to value the people who aren't a part of our church? The people who are far from you, who don't think about you, don't like you, don't lean into you, don't rely on you. God, would you help this gathering of people with a purpose? Would you help us Would you help us accomplish what you want done? Would you convict us of the moments that we're we're off center? God, I commit to you as leader of this church. We're going to take the work boot mentality. 
we're going to work and work until we don't have the option to work anymore. God, help us to be a church that's usable by you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.